This is Garden Variety, a horticulture podcast from Iowa Public Radio and Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. I'm Charity Nebbe. As summer progresses, there are milestones along the way. The first produce from the garden, the first rose blossom, the emergence of fireflies. But not all of the milestones are pleasant. Right now, one of our least favorite invasive species is emerging, Japanese beetles. And as usual, they are hungry. Entomologist Laura Isles is the director of the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center at Iowa State University, and she is here with us. Hello, Laura. Good morning, Charity. So Japanese beetles, they they emerge every year about this time. Remind me, how long ago did they first start showing up in Iowa? So we track with, you know, just kind of how many, how hot it's been. We track like when they'll start emerging. And for most of Iowa, the last, last week was probably the real big start, although we had, a, you know, a few sporadic reports from the week before. So we're really right at the beginning of that emergence time period. All right. And I told you in an email earlier this week that I had only seen one and I was feeling really pleased about that. And then last night I was out walking and I was in the prairie and they were all over my purple cone flowers. So they're definitely starting to show up (laughs) in my yard and in Johnson County, our neck of the woods. The population every summer seems to be very uneven. Some years we will be overwhelmed by Japanese beetles. Other years we'll have a very light population. Why is it so variable? Yeah, so that's what you're observing. What I think most of us observe is that, again, some years you're just like, whoa, they must be all gone. And then, you know, sometimes I've even gotten like a late flush come into my garden in, you know, mid-August. So, They will emerge about over the next six weeks. And again, it tends to be spotty like that. Part of it's because, you know, maybe local conditions were good. Things like dry weather, the drought, dry soil will cause a lot of mortality in the larva. They they lay their eggs on the soil and the little larva will be feeding underground. So dry soil, especially late July and August, are a big factor in reducing populations as well as cold temperatures over the winter. But they're very spotty, and because they release those those aggregation pheromones, once they find something and several of them are eating, it does attract in a lot more into the area. And what do they do when they arrive? I mean, a lot of us know far too well, but but tell me about right. about their habits. <laughs> so the adult beetles, which is what we're all seeing, they feed on a lot of different plant species, and it's really, I mean bad for us. As an entomologist, it's very interesting that when they start feeding, what they're attracted to, mostly the others, are plant volatiles. So when the plant combined with the beetle saliva basically releases certain chemicals, and that's what the others are attracted to. And so they'll they'll come and they'll usually defoliate. They kind of cause this like almost lacy-like defoliation, often start at kind of the top of the like trees and things and work their way down. So Primarily cosmetic, although that as a gardener myself, I wince because that's why we like gardens because they're pretty. But most of the damage does not, you know, cause irreparable harm to the plants, but definitely not attractive. Now, every year on social media, I see people posting pictures of them asking what they are. So for people who may not know, mm-hmm. describe what a Japanese beetle looks like. So a Japanese beetles, let's see, quarter, probably about a quarter of an inch, kind of rounded, um, scared. They're a 
type of scarab beetle. So if you're familiar with what a scarab beetle looks like, green head, kind of bronzy back. They, I always see there's like kind of six, there's little white spots along the sides of their abdomen. And usually there's more than one in an area. So right. if, <laughs> if you see a cluster of beetles feeding on a plant, it's almost certainly Japanese beetles. <laughs> and then here's the big question. If we do have a Japanese beetle infestation, what can we do about it? <laughs> That's a great question, and 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 I kind of laugh because I was thinking about this, and and I always feel like everybody tunes in and hopes that I'm going to reveal the great secret that we've been holding out on the secret to managing Japanese beetles, and like this is the time where I will tell you what to do. And I yeah, you know, I just kind of feel bad because I mean I fight them in my own garden. They are incredibly frustrating. There is just there is no way to win. The, it's just kind of how to lose less. Um, Hand-picking them off is a good management method. If it's the first feeding, I will remove the leaf, too. If they've just fed on a you know, leaf or two or part of it, I will remove that because those volatiles coming from that leaf could attract others. Um, hand-picking, screening, like literally putting netting on things, um, up to using insecticide, things like neem oil. Um, we'll control them for a few days. But again, these will emerge over six weeks. Um, you know, and I've used in my own yard, you know, obviously synthetic insecticides, the pyrethroids, acelaprin. There's a lot of options, but the insects have to consume it to die. And, uh, you know, I was talking to, to Aaron, like when I've, you know, kind of given up and treated, you know, a, a small bald cypress and all the beetles are eating it and dying. And then I've just got nothing but dead beetles below my tree and it's gross and they really take a long time <laughs> to break down. So so again, it's just like, I feel like there's just no great win here. Right. And they do have plants that they favor over other plants. What are some of their particular mm-hmm. favorites that they will decimate in your garden and yard? Right, right. So roses, grapevines, I see them on bald cypress, crabapple, birch, um, that fine line buckthorn that's really commonly planted near near houses, I see them very readily feed on that as well. Um, maples, yeah, I've, my irises. I mean, I think everybody knows like a long list of, of what they will feed on. Of course, linden trees are one of their their favorites as well. So very like about three hundred different species of plants, and so it is important, especially if you're picking a plant. I always say, you know, kind of observe, you know, on the neighbors' houses, like what they're feeding on, what they're not feeding on. And and you can certainly, you know, re- get in touch with us and we have lists of plants that are not as prone to Japanese beetle problems. And they do eat the holes in all of the, the foliage. It doesn't look very pretty. But as you said, I mean, that doesn't kill the plants. So this is this is a cosmetic problem, but it doesn't necessarily damage the long-term viability of the plants that they eat? Right. So for most of our, you know, yard or ornamental plants, they aren't going to cause long-term harm. Um, For many of us, like home gardeners, we're not concerned about yield. Um, The places where, you know, you need to focus more on management is if, you know, you're commercially producing grapes or, you know, these even feed on soybeans. And, you know, we're managing more than to to maintain the yield. But for most of us, they're more of, I I hate to call it irritation because that really kind of doesn't sell the amount of anger right. that it doesn't do it justice still. right <laughs> it does not do it justice i i one year had a, a crab apple they were really going after it i mean i i went out there multiple times a day and just shook the crab apple tree to make them fly away it was totally pointless because they came right back but they're just 
yeah, the, the, the amount of just frustration and anger that these beetles cause us all, like, it, it, it causes, I'm an entomologist. I really like insects, and I just feel my blood boil as well. Well, they are an invasive species, so I, I think that your, your frustration is well-placed. Um, <laughs> okay, before we move on to a, a more pleasant topic, uh, there are mm-hmm. stores that will sell you traps to catch Japanese beetles, but you don't believe that those are a good investment. Tell me why. Yeah, so traps, there's a lot of caveats with the traps. So the traps will attract more beetles to the area, but they don't catch them all in the trap. And so if you place them near the plants you're trying to protect, they will cause more harm than good because there's just kind of a, just think of like a halo of Japanese beetles around these traps. So very effective. We'll pull them in. I love it when I see my neighbor two doors down put one in because that's great. He'll attract more to his yard and they'll leave my yard. (laughs) So they're, so they're a perfect they're, gift I mean, for your neighbor that you don't particularly gift, like. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, but if you have a very large property and you have the space to put them far, far away from what you're trying to, to protect, then the second problem is, is they catch a lot of beetles and they are, insects are animals and they will start to smell like a dead animal. And so you've just basically got bags and bags of dead, stinky beetles you can compost it. The, the elytra, the exoskeleton, does not break down quickly. So, yeah, so you kind of got to have a plan. If you're going to use them, they need to be far, far away, and you need to have a plan in place to be changing out and emptying those bags, maybe even multiple times a day if you're in a heavy area. So we usually just, for, for most of us, the traps are more of a headache than they, they don't help at all. Well, let's uh, shift gears and talk about one of our favorite native insects. Those are fireflies. We have a lovely population of fireflies near Mm -hmm. our house this year. And again, it's one of those things where sometimes there are a lot, sometimes there aren't very many. But I read an article in the Washington Post that told me that nearly a third of all firefly species in North America may be threatened with extinction because of habitat loss. Uh, What's going on with fireflies? Right. So, Fireflies, amazing insects, lightning bugs, same thing. We tend to call them lightning bugs um, here in the Midwest. Beautiful displays. But again, you know, the, the climate conditions, things like drought really negatively impact them. The The larval fireflies are, you know, sometimes called glow worms. They actually feed their predators are in the soil and they feed on slugs and snails and even insect larvae, probably even Japanese beetle larvae. But those when it's dry and the soil's dry, that's hard on them. Habitat change. And one of the big things with the lightning bugs and fireflies is light pollution. These are insects that we love them because they communicate with each other with light and those flashing, but um, human light can interfere with that. So that is one of the, you know, the big reasons why we think, you know, populations, along with populations of lots of insects are um, declining. Is there anything we can do to support habitat for native insects like fireflies? I mean, we talk a lot about pollinators. What can we do for other natives? Right. You know, it's it's very similar. I mean, unfortunately, these things like drought and stuff are, you know, it's just hard to know what to do. And I kind of, I was thinking about this, you know, and when we think of like Japanese beetles, we're kind of hot, happy when it's dry because then the Japanese beetle larva may not survive. But when it's dry, it hurts our crops and it hurts things that we like, like the the lightning lightning bugs. And so, you know, having, you know, tall grass, things that maintain soil moisture can help um, if you've got that kind of area. But yeah, and the big thing probably is to reducing outdoor lights at night. So if, you know, just don't leave lights on at night. We talk a lot about that and just not attracting insects. 
to your house, but it also helps a lot of insects to turn those lights out at night. Laura Isles is the director of the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center based at Iowa State University. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. You can find out more at iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Garden Variety is a production of Iowa Public Radio and Iowa State University Extension. It's produced by me, Aaron Style, Caitlin Troutman, and the Iowa Public Radio talk show team. For more garden goodness, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. Just go to iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. See you next time.